You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Well, thank you for coming today. My name is Lucas, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. And we have been going through a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and so there's, uh, if you don't know, uh, we're actually finding this list in Galatians 5, uh, 22, uh, and I'll take us through 25. Um, and, uh, and so this is kind of the, the well-known or the famous passage known as the fruit of the spirit. Now, this is not the only list of Christian virtues in the New Testament. There, there are tons of lists uh, that, uh, that kind of chronicle a lot of these same, uh, these same fruit. However, this is probably the most famous just because it's given a name, namely it's the fruit of the spirit. So let's just go ahead and read this real quick uh, and so that we all get on the same page. And, um, and then we'll start uh, kind of getting into the fruit that we're gonna discuss today, which is uh, kindness. So Galatians 5, through 25. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let's follow the spirit as well. And so again, this is, uh, this is kind of where we're getting this idea of this fruit of the spirit. Up until this point, we have already done sermons on love, joy, peace, and patience. Uh, and today we are going to do uh, the spiritual gift of, or discuss the spiritual gift of kindness. Now, uh, a, something that we have been, we've been beating this drum uh, throughout the whole sermon series so far, and we're going to continue to beat this drum, um, is that uh, the, these virtues are aptly named fruit of the spirit. Uh, and what we mean by that and what's, why that's so important is um, it's a very natural thing. Uh, it's a very human thing uh, for us to find lists in the Bible and for us to grab onto these as if it's some kind of measuring stick to see if we're Christian enough. Um, again, this is, this is a very natural human thing, or maybe it's more of just a sin nature thing. Um, but uh, but we, we're always looking for a way for us to kind of measure ourselves or compare ourselves either to other people or compare ourselves to some kind of, uh, to some kind of uh, standard, measurable standard. Um, and in some regards, that's a good thing. We can look at those uh, standards. Uh, we can kind of objectively check ourselves. Are we lacking in a certain virtue? Um, and that, that was something that I very much went through in preparing for this sermon, uh, is I did realize, wow, kindness is something that's, uh, that's really kind of deeply lacking in, uh, in my Christian walk. Uh, so there's nothing necessarily wrong with looking at an objective standard. However, what is wrong is coming to the conclusion that, oh, I just need to be more kind or I just need to kind of uh, do this thing more so that I'm a better Christian. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. And that's why I think it's very important for us to continue to talk about this idea that this is fruit of the spirit. This isn't fruit of you. You're not the one that's producing uh, kindness. You're not the one that's going to white knuckle your salvation. You're not going to, uh, to get this out of you. It's not your fruit at all. It's actually fruit of the spirit. And I wanna make sure, and we're gonna continue to make sure that this is very clear throughout the sermon series, is that yes, this list is very helpful and it's good for us to understand what these are uh, and dive deeper into them. However, I, I really need us to make sure that we understand that this is something that the spirit produces in us. It's not something that you produce in you. And in my case, for example, as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm looking at kindness. And I'm just like, wow, there's, there's, there is a noticeable gap in my Christian walk in this area. It would be an inappropriate response to say, okay, I just need to try harder to do this. I've been trying this whole time and I'm still not producing it. What would trying harder do? The appropriate response is to find myself on my knees before the cross, begging Christ, please help produce this in me. I can't do it myself. Give me your spirit and allow kindness to be shown in and through me to those around me. That is the, the response that we are kind of, as we go through this sermon series, we're inviting everyone to kind of come to that same exact response where when we find kind of blind spots in our Christian walk, 
What we don't do is we just try to work harder at being a better Christian in that area. But instead we find ourselves on our knees at the foot of the cross, begging God, please produce this in me. I can't do it myself. So uh, please keep that in mind and I will we'll revisit that uh, later on. But, uh, but the specific fruit that we are gonna be talking about today is the fruit of kindness. Now, if you weren't here last week, um, I do uh, want to kind of reiterate this, uh, this idea of patience because that was the fruit that came before. Um, there, uh, there is a lot of similarity uh, between uh, kindness and goodness, which is next week's uh, fruit. Um, but, uh, but patience and kindness throughout the New Testament, they often find themselves together. It's like they're, they're always kind of, um, not always, but they, they often tend to be holding hands um, and they, they run uh, together. Uh, but also kindness and goodness, those Greek words, um, often they're translated very similarly. Uh, for example, kindness uh, actually is translated as good uh, actually somewhat frequently. So really does beg the question, what's the difference between goodness and kindness? Um, especially if kindness, the Greek word kindness is translated into good. Like for example, in Luke 6, um, when Jesus turns water into wine, uh, the head of the marriage feast, uh, he stands up and he says, oh, you've saved the good wine for last. Um, that's the same word as kindness. So, but in that, we translate that from English into good because kind wine doesn't make sense. Um, so this, uh, this is a proper way to translate the word. Uh, and, um, and I think this is, this is something that we do need to kind of keep in mind. Uh, as we read through lists like this, or, or sometimes uh, when we read through the Bible, uh, sometimes we find words that are very similar and we just kind of gloss over them uh, as if Paul is just kind of um, using synonyms. And he does, I'm not saying that synonyms or, uh, or just kind of stylistic writing isn't a thing in the Bible, it absolutely is. However, I want us to kind of <laughs> have, a, uh, have a proper perspective on this. First century communication was very different from 21st uh, century uh, communication. For example, uh, when we want to talk to each other, we just send texts, right? Communication is very cheap. Uh, in fact, communication is so cheap and lazy. Uh, sometimes we just send emojis because uh, we just can't even be bothered to spell a word, right? So communication in our day and age, it is very cheap. And so it is easy to look at a text like this and just gloss over like, oh, what's the difference between kindness and goodness? Who cares? Paul just wants us to be a better Christian. Okay, sure. You can come to that conclusion, but you're missing some of the nuance. What we need to remember in the first century is that when Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, uh, first of all, there is no city of Galatia, it's a region. So Paul is writing to a bunch of different churches in the region of Galatia. So he's taking time to write this letter, but also keep in mind, what, is he, what are they writing on back then? Well, they had papyri, but papyri was, uh, it's kind of flimsy or brittle. It doesn't travel well. Uh, if you've ever traveled anywhere on foot for a long period of time, or just gone on like a, an extended hiking trip, uh, you know, the stuff that you bring with you gets beat up. So papyri is kind of a, it's a poor mode of communication. Um, now, what happened is once these churches got the letter, uh, that Paul wrote to them, they probably copied it onto papyri just because those probably weren't leaving the church. They were just gonna stay there. But how did Paul actually get the letter to them? Well, he probably had to procure some kind of leather and write on the leather because that would have been um, far more durable. But consequently, it would have been a lot more expensive as well. So in order for Paul to write this letter, he had to procure a piece of leather, which would have been somewhat expensive. Um, once he gets it, then he has to write down his, his letter. So this is something that Paul, he's, he does have to be somewhat intentional about what he's communicating. So often, and if you don't know, I, I teach high schoolers. Uh, you, you do have to, like, I, I see this all the time. Uh, I give my students like a word count and the fluff that they put into their papers is just ridiculous uh, and hilarious most of the time. Uh, but there's no... There's no word count for Paul here. He's not trying to write fluff. He's not trying to just like fill up a, an assignment. Um, so each word that he is putting in here, it does have its purpose. Paul's not just writing fluff. He is trying to communicate something specific. And so that's the point of us going through this sermon series is what are these individual words? What are the nuances here? And why is Paul communicating this? 
because he wouldn't have gone through the time of procuring the letter, writing it, and then he also had to send the letter to the church in Galatia, which means he had to find someone that he trusted, uh, give them the letter, and then he had to send them off on this multi-week long journey uh, to not just one church, but to one church, and then the next one, and then the next one, and the next one, and then back home which would have been somewhat dangerous. There's thieves on the road. Luckily they had the Roman roads, so they weren't as dangerous as they used to be. But uh, there's still, it was still somewhat dangerous. It was expensive. You have to bring your food. You have to bring money for more food. Uh, you have to have supplies. Maybe you had a beast to go with you. That would have been expensive. You see how this whole process is not, communication is not cheap in the first century. And so when we get to Paul and we just see, oh, kindness and goodness, and uh, that's kind of the same word, and then you just move on, you're missing some nuance here. And so that's what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at that nuance. What is the nuance and how does that actually apply to us? Uh, and how, what can we actually learn from this? Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, some of that nuance is important when we look at how Paul also uses this word kindness in other contexts. Um, as I mentioned, kindness and patience tend to run in the same circles. Uh, when we often see kindness, we also often see patience as well. I have some examples uh, up here for us to go through. Uh, first one is 1 Corinthians 13.4. Um, if, uh, if any of you have been married, this was probably read at your wedding. Um, and uh, 1 Corinthians 13.4, it says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, love does not brag. It is not arrogant. So again, we see this idea of patience and kindness. They kind of run together. Uh, again, 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 6. Uh, Paul, he's, uh, he's, he's encouraging the uh, Corinthian church uh, to not discredit the ministry, live in a certain way. Uh, and then he goes on to say, commend yourselves as servants of God. And then he goes through this huge list. And in that list, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians 6, 6. And so commending yourselves as servants of God in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. And then the list goes on and on for a few more verses. So again, we see this idea of, of kindness and patience kind of running in the same circles. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you should remember that patience is this idea of, we often think of patience as kind of um, uh, maybe persevering through something, some kind of hardship, right? Um, like often uh, the word, the way I use patience is when my kids, um, we're preparing food for our kids and they get impatient, right? And they just can't wait. And it's like, they know the food's coming, they see it coming, but they just can't be patient. That's more of a perseverance um, type thing. Uh, patience or this word uh, that Paul uses that we translate as patience, uh, it's actually more of this idea of being slow to anger uh, or slow to respond to some kind of wrongdoing. So this idea of patience is someone has wronged you and you're not quick to anger, you're not quick to respond, you're not quick to get back at them or mete out justice. But patience is just being slow to anger, just giving it some time. And so if you weren't here last week, uh, go ahead and feel, feel free to listen to that. Uh, it's on the, uh, on the church's website. But this, uh, and very much we see this kind of present in the parable that we looked at last week where uh, Jesus gave this parable of a master that was patient with his work, wicked servant that accumulated just an unreal amount of debt. And the servant said, please be patient with me. And the master was, but he, was, he did a lot more than that. And so what we see is this, this interesting dynamic of you can be patient, you can be slow to anger, you can kind of be slow to retaliate against someone that's done something wrong to you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're also kind to them. What that could look like is the master, he could have, yeah, been slow to anger, but he could have been stern. He could have uh, said, no, pay me back what you have. You just have more time. Um, he, he could have had a lot of different responses. And that, that is this interesting dynamic because up until this point, all the fruit that we have looked at in Galatians 5 all kind of share this similar characteristic. Like for example, uh, love, you could, uh, I could have deep love for someone, uh, but if I don't demonstrate that love to them, uh, would they even know that it's there? Uh, same with joy, you could have deep joy, uh, uh, peace, and then patience. Uh, kindness, and this is what's unique about this word kindness, 
is that kindness is actually this outward expression of what you're experiencing, of, of, of what you feel. And this is actually the, uh, the major difference between this idea of kindness and goodness. And goodness is what we're gonna talk about next week. So just to uh, even uh, demonstrate this even more, uh, I have a couple more verses to see how kindness and patience run together. Uh, Colossians 3.12 um, Colossians 3.12. Um, so Paul just got done saying, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, uh, there's, um, there's no slave, no free. And then he goes on and says, but we are all in Christ. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So again, we see this word kindness going hand in hand with patience, but it's also, we see it in this, these other lists as well. Why is it that kindness is always showing up in these other lists? Why is it that kindness is also translated as good? Sometimes tra- kindness is translated as merciful. Another context is Ephesians 4, 31, 32. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And then verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, which is the other end of patience, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Again, we see this idea that kindness is actually what this is, what kindness is, is this the demonstration, it's the outward manifestation of these other fruit. Some commentators have even noted that there are nine fruit. If you know anything about something called a, a or at least Jewish, um, Jewish poetic structures is sometimes the middle idea is the main idea. So some commentators have even speculated uh, that there are four fruit in the front, four fruit in the back, and kindness is the one in the middle. Because kindness is the one that's this outward expression of these fruit. And this is kind of where I, as I was preparing for this, I really kind of realized that this is something that does not come naturally to me. And this, this is something that I, I really do, I find myself at the foot of the cross often, um, especially after researching uh, this word, because um, I was mostly ignorant to how, how this was different. But this is something that I, I, I just often miss where patience is good, it's good to be slow to anger. But unless someone is willing to kind of demonstrate their kindness to you in that moment, it can often be missed, the patience. Uh, for example, uh, when I was, uh, when, when Eva was very young, um, she had just kind of started to learn how to talk and so she wasn't talking very well. And uh, I'll never forget, like she, she just came up to me one time and she said, dad, why you... And for those of you who are listening, uh, she, she kind of puts like this really big scowl on her face. And what she's trying to ask me is, dad, why are you mad? And I wasn't mad, I was just reading, but I didn't realize that as I was reading, I, just, I was reading with a scowl on my face. Um, and, uh, and so, but that, that's this idea, whereas I was actually happy. I was, I was very pleased to be reading and what I was reading was, I was actually really enjoying it. Uh, but my outward manifestation of that did not show the happiness that was going on inside of me. Or another uh, example is Samuel. Um, when he was a little bit younger, uh, I, would, I would have to correct him. Uh, and it's not like he was in trouble. It's not like I was punishing him. Uh, you guys know, th- those of you who have kids uh, have experienced this. When you go to like correct your kid or you're just trying to communicate like, hey, stop that. Like you're gonna hurt I don't know, you're gonna hurt your brother or you're gonna hurt yourself or you're hurting my sanity. I just need you to stop, right? You're not in trouble, nothing's wrong, just stop it. But when I would do that with Samuel, uh, a lot of times he, he just, he never knew if he was actually in trouble or not. And so I've, I noticed that after correcting him, he would just over and over say, I love you, dad, I love you, dad, I love you, dad. And what he was actually communicating in that moment as a kid, he wasn't able to articulate this well, but I realized what he's trying to figure out is he's trying to figure out like, 
I, I, I love you. I just try, I'm trying to figure out if I'm in trouble. I'm trying to figure out, do you still love me? Do you still care about me? And if, if he actually asked that, it, it just would have been a resounding, absolutely, of course. Like there's, I just have such a, such a deep, deep love for my kid. Like how in the world could I not love him? But there was just in that moment, he couldn't feel it. He couldn't see it. There was no physical or tangible manifestation of my love for him. That's what this idea of kindness is. This is also why this word is just kind of hard to translate. That's why it's translated as good. That's why it's translated as, uh, as merciful. That's why it's translated as kind. That's why it sometimes it's translated as, uh, as soft or easy. And also the same root word that's, used, that, uh, that's part of this Greek word that's used here in Galatians 5, uh, it's also translated as useful. And I think that actually kind of helps us understand what this word actually is, is it's useful. If I have love for Samuel, deep love for Samuel, but he doesn't know it, is that love actually even useful? No. But if I have love for my kid and actually manifest, I show him, I make sure that he understands and I, I, I demonstrate that love for him, now it's useful. It's easy, it's kind, it's compassionate. That's what this word is trying to communicate. And so when Paul gives us this list and uh, he, he tells us that the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. It's almost as if what he's saying is, yes, you will feel all these things. They're, they're inside of you. Your love is, it's inside of you, joy. And it, you, you have this sense of peace and you're slow to anger, right? All of these are internal, but then when you get to kindness, it's this, it's this external manifestation of demonstrating our love and our joy and our peace and our patience to those around us. And so there's three things I want us to know. What does kindness actually produce? Because this is another area that I think Christians often miss, or maybe uh, this, is, this is just a natural, uh, uh, a natural proclivity for us as sinful humans. Again, when we look at these lists, we want some kind of standard, we wanna measure up. But when we see kindness, um, I think we also need to ask ourselves, you know, like there's, there's plenty of unsaved people that are kind, Right? There's plenty of atheists out there that have deep love for someone else and they actually demonstrate that love. Right? So how could this be a fruit of the spirit when we see other people who, who tell us they don't have the spirit, they, they don't believe in God, so they, they, they by definition don't have any fruit of the spirit. How is it that they're actually able to produce this kindness? And I think this is, this is what's different about this. And so if we're gonna look at the fruit of the spirit, we need to understand, if we're gonna understand how, what it looks like um, kind of un, unobscured by our sin nature, the best way to find this is going to be looking at God. If these are fruit of the spirit and the, the spirit uh, comes from God, the spirit is God, then we should look to God and see how God demonstrates this kindness. And then we can actually look to ourselves and see how this comes out of us when we have the spirit in us producing this spirit or this fruit. So when we talk about kindness, we have to be asking ourselves, what is, what is the kindness producing? What's the point? What's the point of the kindness? If we find ourselves just being kind to other people, just because we want other people to like us, that should be a red flag that this probably doesn't come from the spirit. Because we see the kindness of God, it actually accomplishes something else. The kindness of God doesn't cause us to just uh, seek the approval of other people. The kindness of God is going to do three separate things. And these are our three points. The kindness of God or the, this fruit kindness, it leads us to repentance. It offers us rest and it grows our faith. So one more time, kindness leads us to repentance. It offers us rest and it grows our faith. So this first point is that kindness leads us to repentance. We actually find this in Romans 2, one through four. 
Romans 2, 1 through 4. So Paul here in the, in the letter to, uh, to the Romans, he says, therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person. Everyone who passes judgment for in that manner in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judge of God rightly, the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, you foolish person, who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet do them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And we talked about this last week. Um, and here, in, uh, here we find this idea that, that patience is, is this, uh, how it's manifested or how it's shown in God is that he's slow to anger. He doesn't give us the judgment that we so deserve immediately. He's slow to anger. But the way we as humans interpret this is that God doesn't care. We come to conclusions like, oh, I'm doing the sin, but it's not hurting anybody. But the only reason why we come to conclusions like that is because God is patient with us. He's slow to anger. He's slow to retaliate. And here we find this idea again in Romans where Paul says, uh, God is kind to us and he's patient because when we judge other people, we're invoking judgment upon ourselves and we don't recognize that we're doing it because God is patient. He's slow to anger. His judgment is not immediate. And then Paul tells uh, his listener that, uh, that don't you know that the kindness of God, it leads you to repentance. Now, it's not really clear on who Paul is talking to. Is he actually talking to uh, the church in Rome? Is he talking to a specific person? Um, or is he talking to some kind of interlocutor? Um, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's this word that um, you don't need to know, but I'm gonna tell you anyways. Uh, it's, uh, it's this academic term, it's, uh, it's called the interlocutor. An interlocutor uh, is someone, it's kind of a fake person that you make up so that you can actually argue against uh, kind of a, uh, an imposed argument. So. For example, if anyone has ever just argued with yourself in your head, uh, you come up with an idea that you don't actually believe, but you're fighting against yourself. Um, that's an interlocutor, right? Paul does that same thing. He does it, he uses it quite a bit, uh, where he actually comes up with this, uh, this fake individual uh, that he's fighting against. And this individual espouses some kind of uh, contrarian view that Paul then uh, fights against that contrarian view to actually um, uh, kind of communicate his idea. So in Romans, it's not really clear on if he's actually talking to the Romans. Uh, are they the foolish people that are passing judgment on other people? Or is it this interlocutor that Paul has just made up so that he can make his point? Uh, who knows? And spoiler alert, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think people really just like to fight this fight uh, about who Paul talking to because they want to figure out if it's okay to, I guess, lay into other people um, in correcting them on false teaching or whatever. Uh, it doesn't really matter. The point is, Paul is addressing uh, this foolish idea, whether it's a physical person or not, it is a foolish idea to judge other people because what you're doing when you judge other people, just like the wicked servant that we talked about from last week, is you are just totally neglecting the patience that God has already showed to us. Paul makes this clear over and over and over in most of his, uh, most of his writings is that when you violate the law, even in one area, Jesus also makes this very clear when he's talking to the Pharisees, if you violate the law in just one area, you've violated the whole thing. The law is not broken off into these disparate parts. It's one whole. And so when you break a part of that law, you have violated the whole. What Paul is explaining here is that why would you judge other people who are breaking the law? If you cast judgment, that means you would have to be a judge. If you're a judge, then you would be able to abide by the law that you are judging, but you can't. And if you can't, then you subject yourself to judgment. And that's a terrible thought. That's a terrifying thought. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here is don't judge other people, you're breaking the same exact law. 
And the reason why you can't see that is because God is, demonstrates his patience to you. Or he says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience? God is demonstrating his kindness, his restraint and his patience so that he doesn't judge you immediately so that we don't experience his wrath. He's kind to us. And then Paul poses this very big question. Um, Do you not know that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Why is God so kind to us? It's the same reason why he's patient with us. He's slow to anger so that we have time for repentance. But if it was just patience, if he was just slow, we would just think that God doesn't care about judgment. Instead, what does he do? He shows us patience and kindness. He demonstrates his love and affection toward us. He demonstrates his patience to us. For what purpose? And that's to lead us to repentance. When I was in high school, um, if you don't know uh, my dad, but uh, my, my father and I, um, well, he, he was, he's like my best friend. Um, he was my best friend in high school. He was the best man in my wedding. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's just my best friend. Um, but in high school, I, I, I never remember, I don't even know the, the, all the circumstances surrounding it. But there were some things going on in my life I was really struggling with. And, um, and man, I, I, just, I just laid into my dad. Um, I remember calling him names, yelling at him, um, and just really losing it. And I remember the feeling of, as it was happening, realizing that I'm, I'm not in my right mind. Um, I'm not thinking clearly. I know what I'm doing right now is wrong, but I can't stop doing it. Uh, which actually just caused me to be even more angry. But of course I couldn't be angry at myself. So I just took it even out of my dad even more. And, um, and I, just, I just, I remember being so mad at myself for doing this and treating my dad who deserves so much respect. Um, I remember the look on my dad's face, just kind of like, frustrated and confused. Um, And he just stepped to me uh, and he just gave me a really big hug. And he just, just bear hugged me and just wouldn't let me go. And as he just, just kind of held me and, and, and hugged me, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything other than just cry and apologize. And even, even now, right now, as I'm reliving that experience, it just, it really, it, what it does, what that did to me is it, it just, it drew me into repentance. I, I knew I was wrong. In the moment, I knew I was wrong. And as I was doing it, I knew I was wrong and I should have stopped, but I, I, I just wouldn't stop. And though I deserved my dad's wrath, he deserved to yell at me and punish me and everything else. Instead, what he gave to me was this, tangible, manifested love. That's what we're calling kindness. It's this compassion. It's, it's something real that I could actually see. And it was my father's kindness toward me in that moment when I was just so angry and it led me to repentance and it led me to recognize I, I, there's something deeply broken about me. And in the same way, God does that to us, doesn't he? Is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, he made us into children. He offers us redemption. Not only is he patient, not only is he slow to anger or slow to retaliate, just like my father was in that story. Not only does he give us that, but he also gives us compassion and kindness. He gives us those bear hugs. What's the point? It's to lead us to repentance. Now, what does this actually look like? Because it's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 5 is that the fruit of the spirit is in us. 
right? Paul talks about how um, if we live by the spirit, let's also follow the spirit as well. So if this is being produced in us, how do we then demonstrate this? And that's exactly, that's why I told the story about my, my father demonstrating this kindness to me. What does this actually look like in boots to the ground in our human experiences? Is our kindness for each other? When we know that other people have wronged us, we know that we've been uh, the victim here. We know that we didn't deserve X, Y, and Z but being slow to anger, patience, and then also demonstrating this kindness. What we're doing is we're giving each other and even unsaved people this this brief glimpse into what God has done to us. And that's demonstrating his kindness. This fruit of the spirit is not just something for the church. It's also for an unsaved world and it's for a purpose. And again, that's that first point is that kindness. What does it do? It leads us to repentance. The next verse that we're gonna look at is Matthew 11. Jesus is, uh, uh, he had just got done speaking to the Pharisees. Um, He kind of laid into them a little bit. And uh, now he's uh, speaking to his disciples and anyone else who, uh, who is in the crowd. In Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Now here, there's, uh, there's a lot of layers to what uh, Jesus is communicating, but, uh, but the word comfortable is the same Greek word uh, for, uh, that's being translated as kindness in Galatians 5. So when Jesus says, my yoke is kind and my burden is light, uh, that's a weird translation. So obviously the translators translate this as comfortable. It's kind, it's easy. Uh, there's... Um, so Jesus is obviously speaking to Jews and I want us to recognize that a lot of Jews would have understood this, especially uh, because they were pretty steeped in Sabbath. If you don't know, uh, Sabbath is actually just the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew words for rest is Sabbat or Shabbat. And it's this idea of, of resting. And in the same way that God rested on the seventh day, uh, the Jewish people were commanded to rest on the seventh day as well. And so it's always finding this rest. Uh, and also there's this, uh, there's this really interesting uh, correlation to uh, man was created. It was a la- man was the last thing to, that God created uh, on the, uh, um, and then the very next day is that God rested. It's almost as if man was created. And then the very first thing that man experienced was God's rest. It's almost as if man was created to be in God's rest. That's what we're made for. It's what satisfies us. It's what satiates us. It's just being in God's presence. It's resting or being in our creator's rest. Uh, And if you don't know, uh, after uh, the fall of man, uh, so Adam and Eve, they sinned. And then God immediately shows up and he asks Adam what happened. He blames a woman and then the woman blames a serpent. And then God goes to the serpent and then curses the serpent and then he curses the woman. So it goes in reverse order. And then he gets to Adam and he curses the ground. So it's easy for us to look at that and just be like, well, Adam kind of got off easy, right? Everyone else got a curse, right? The serpent has to crawl on its belly, eat dust. Uh, there's gonna be enmity between him and the woman. Uh, with the, for the woman, there's gonna be increased pain in childbirth and child rearing. She's gonna seek after the man and blah, blah, blah. There's all this stuff that these, these, they're being cursed in themselves. And then it gets to Adam and it's the ground is cursed because of you. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. Um, just to give you a little bit of context. Uh, no, Adam didn't actually get off easy. In fact, you could actually argue that Adam got it the worst in that. What is Adam? Well, he even says in the curse at the end of God cursing Adam, he says, you are dust. 
because you were made from dust and to dust you will return. And what was cursed when it got to Adam's turn? It was the dust. So in almost every way, Adam was cursed. It wasn't just that he was cursed in himself, but also everything that he touches and interacts with is cursed. Cursed, Adam is cursed down to his very nature. It's not something that he endures. It's something that he now is. And what is this curse? It's that the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles. It's out of the ground, or again, his very nature is a thing that's going to sting him over and over. And he will fight against it. It's by the sweat of his brow, he's going to eat bread. He's going to plow the fields and produce food. But if you know anything about food, after you eat, you just get hungry again. This is the curse that God gave Adam. And it's a curse that we all bear. It's this idea that you never rest. What the curse is, is restlessness. For the rest of your days, you're always going to be chasing something that once you get to it, you're just going to be hungry for more or something else later on. And I think we've all experienced this, right? You chase after something, or I just, I just need this new job, or I just need this new relationship, or I just need this new whatever. And you get it and it satiates you so much for just a short amount of time. And then you're just ready for something else. Because again, what we were meant for is God's rest. And God gave that to the Jewish people when he told them, he commanded them to Sabbath, he told them to rest. So very much what Jesus is communicating here and the people that were listening to him when he gave this, uh, when he gave this analogy, they would have understood and they would have heard, this guy's going to give us rest for our souls. That's a bold statement. Jesus makes similar bold statements when he tells the, the woman at the well that I will give you water, living water. And if you drink from it, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll be totally satiated and satisfied. He says that he's the bread of life. That if you eat this bread, you will have eternal life. And here what he's saying is that, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, you will find, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, kind, comfortable, and my burden is light. So what does this kindness produce? Well, it leads us to repentance, but what it also does is kindness. It gives us rest. It offers us rest. And what we mean by rest is not like this idea of just chilling out and just relaxing, but it's satiating your soul. It's satisfaction. It's something that's inside of you that's finally been resolved. That's what we offer to each other when we demonstrate this kindness toward one another and we demonstrate this kindness to an unsaved world. It's what my father demonstrated to me on that day when I was treating him so poorly. What he gave me was rest. Again, in that moment, all I could do was just be angry and then I was just getting even more angry because I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I couldn't stop. And what did his kindness do? It just shut it down. It stopped and I was able to just rest and stop and repent. And it's in that repentance, it's when I was able to stop. I was able to feel the love of my father. And in the same way, what Christ is offering us is he's offering us rest. We wouldn't associate bearing a yoke, which is an object of work as something that would give us rest but Christ's is. Why? Because the work that Christ has given to us, that's what satisfies us. It's what completes us. It's almost like it's what gets us back into the garden. It's almost like Christ here is reversing the curse, isn't he? So again, kindness, it offers us rest. And lastly, Kindness grows our faith. We find that in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2. Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
And like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that it may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So what Peter's talking about is uh, it's it's not necessarily the kindness that grows uh, our salvation or grows um, grows us in respect to our salvation. It's actually the pure milk of the word. That's what grows us. Uh, and again, this, uh, this isn't much of a stretch. Uh, we know, especially back in that day, you think about this agrarian culture, um, they would have seen lambs, right? All they do is they drink milk. And what happens to lambs after they drink milk? They blow up, right? Same with calves, same with even baby humans. This milk is this, it is the agent that grows you and just expands you like crazy, and so it's, it's this word, it's this pure milk of the word, just hunger for the, the, the word, like it's milk. And what's the point of it? It grows you in respect to your salvation. If there's a condition here, you see the word doesn't grow you unless you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So here kindness is actually, it's the vehicle in which the milk does grow you. The milk grows you. The word is what grows us in our salvation, but kindness is actually the mechanism of action. It's the thing that actually initiates how the milk or the word grows us. And Peter, he's actually quoting a Psalm. And again, him saying uh, this idea of you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, uh, that should immediately cause us to go back to this Psalm 34, where this is actually quoted or what he's quoting Psalm 34, verse eight, we'll start in verse eight. Uh, And the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, we see this idea that goodness could be translated or this word could be translated as good or kind. Now also keep in mind, this is Psalm. So this would have been in Hebrew, but that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Peter is quoting this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no lack in anything. The young lions do do without and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord will uh, will not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is a person who desires life and love uh, length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This verse very much is arguing the same exact thing that that Peter was talking about in in, uh, chapter two, verse one. Where he says, get rid of all the malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Instead, like a newborn, Long for the pure milk of the word. And what does the word do? It produces salvation. And that's exactly what the psalmist is talking about is that those who take refuge in him, those who fear the Lord, those who put off all of those things, instead, fear the Lord, chase the things like, uh, or um, uh, keep your tongue from, uh, from evil, keep it from speaking deceit, turn from evil. Instead, do good, seek peace. So what we see is that this, what this kindness actually produces in us is it actually grows our faith. It grows our salvation. And this is, this is something that is, is often uh, demonstrated within the confines of the church. So far, we've read a lot of different passages. And if you've noticed, a lot of them are, are talking about treat each other, treat each other over and over a lot of these contexts are are within the church. This is why it's so often in, in these, uh, in these passages, uh, a lot of these new Testament authors are just like, how can there be divisions among you? How could you be guys? How could you be fighting each other? You should be showing each other patience. You should be showing each other kindness. You should be kind to one another. Why? Because that, what, that's what leads you to repentance. If someone's done you something wrong and you want them to, uh, to recognize what they did was wrong, if you want them to repent, you want them to be sorry for what they've done, be kind to them. Don't retaliate. 
That's what God does to us. And that's what draws us to repentance. What makes us think that it's going to work better if we retaliate? If we want people to come to repentance, if we want us to have this this shared experience, we need to be kind with one another. And what does that do? It grows our faith. It deepens our faith. Because not only what it does is it unifies us, it deepens our bonds with each other, it also reminds each other what our Lord and Savior has done for us. And it also demonstrates this to an outside world, where this outside world is going to look at the kindness that we demonstrate to each other and to them. And it will beg the question, where do we find this kindness? Where is this coming from? And we can always point them to the spirit that lives in us. This is a fruit that we don't produce. It's not our fruit, it's the fruit of the spirit. And as we demonstrate this, as we grow in our faith, as a kindness produces growth in our faith, all we can do is just point more clearly to Christ, point an unsaved world to Christ and also point each other to Christ. So as we go throughout this week, I want us to just, again, not not be so consumed with this idea of, oh, I'm not being kind. I don't demonstrate this kindness. I don't demonstrate this love and this compassion uh, and this easy um, uh, kind of feeling toward other people. I don't demonstrate all these things and you just beat yourself up or that you have to try harder to be a good Christian. That's not what we're here for. We're here for more Christ. And we're here to find ourselves, if we find ourselves lacking in this area, just like I find myself, what we need to do is we need to find ourselves at the bottom of the cross, kneeling on our knees and begging God, please redeem me, fix me. I can't produce this on my own. But again, we're we're seeking this kindness, not so that other people can like us more. We're seeking this kindness so that we can lead others to repentance so we can offer rest to those around us. We can also use this kindness to grow our faith, not just the faith of the people that we're showing kindness to, but also our own faith. That as we do the things of Christ, we start reflecting Christ more clearly. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.